I'm looking forward to sharing a few thoughts on what it means that God accomplished redemption for us. That's a verse from the New Testament. And uh, as a point in case, we have a young man who, after I'm done speaking, will share uh, a few minutes of his personal testimony of how Christ has redeemed him and accomplished redemption for him. Uh, but before we get started, I thought we'd ask all the kids to come up and we'll just have the kids just sit right here in a little circle. Usually on Christmas Eve, we start with a children's message. And so that's always a fun time. I know at the end of the service, if you kids, you know, just obey your mom and dad, uh, we've got some candy for you in the back there on your way out. We got our eyes on you kids wannabes, you know, that try to sneak some candy in, in your purses as you walk out. We got your, our eyes on you too. But anyway, we'd love to get to kiss some candy. We have a candlelight service after our, our testimony tonight. Uh, that's just a symbolic time where we all hand out candles. And so we'll uh, make sure everybody has a candle and has an opportunity to light their candle and so on. But uh, what do you say we pray, and then we'll have the kids come on up, and I'll give a special message just for the kids tonight. Lord, thank you for this evening. What a privilege to have the opportunity to talk about the greatest story that's ever been told in all of humanity. The story of how you planned to accomplish something, to accomplish something uh, that no one has dared accomplish anything of, of greater magnitude, the redemption of a soul, the redemption of mankind. And what a privilege it is uh, to share to that topic. Uh, it is 2015 because of that plan to redeem our souls that you accomplished. And so, Lord, we just commit this evening to you. Might it be a meaningful time for us to reflect on who Jesus is and what he has done. And so we do commit these moments to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, kids, come on up and I'll, I'll sit right here. If you want to just sit right down here in front of me. Uh, looking forward to talking with you especially. All righty. Nice to see you guys. You want to just sit right there. Yeah. Well, there's a lot more kids out there than I thought, you know, when I look out there. Oh, boy. They're, yeah, I guess that classifies as a kid, you know. <laughs> well, good. Well, it's just good to see you kids. Hey, first off, do you guys uh, pretty excited about your family's Christmas plans? Yeah. Pretty neat. You guys got some things going on tonight when you get home? Oh, man. What are some of the things you guys got planned tonight? Well, we're going to Amanda's tonight, but not at home. Going to Amanda's, but not at home. Maybe her home or? Oh, okay. There you go. Does somebody else have any stories? You're having a party and I wasn't invited? Oh, no. <laughs> That's exciting. Okay, going to have some presents there then? Neat, guys. Well, hey, I have a question for you, too. Do you guys, who knows what this is? It's kind of a crazy thing that you don't see very often. Any idea what this is or what it does? 
It's actually missing what they call a chimney, you know, a glass piece that comes up like this. It's missing that. I know when my mom was a kid, she had to clean her chimney every day for her kerosene lamp. But yeah, this is, a, a, this is like, a, like a light bulb. Back before they had light bulbs, they had this. And you might have this on your kitchen table, and you can lift that wick up. I think this wick may still work, but uh, yeah, it's going to take some doing. But that wick, and it's coming a little bit, will come up, and you can light it, and you put kerosene inside there, and you'll have a light. Now, this particular lamp I found in a barn, and it was just laying down, ready to get stepped on, crushed, broken. It was just completely coked coated with dirt there's no way you could actually use it for light right yeah did anybody live at the farm yeah there was somebody my mom lived there at that at the farm there yeah yeah good question but yeah so i just saw it there so i thought uh, you know i should ask mom if i could have it and uh, so i got it cleaned it up put a lot of work into it and i don't use it because to me it's just kind of uh you know an antique you know yeah Pardon me? Was it on the ground? Yeah, it was right on the ground, just kind of laying down in the dirt. No, I mean, like, you, it's in the ground. It's in the ground? Well, you'd actually want to put it up high, like on a table or something, so the light would shine, you know, further in the whole room, you know. But, you know, what I did for this lamp was, I guess you could say I, I redeemed it. Because uh, redeeming means when you restore something to what it was. And so this lamp used to be able to work. And then for a long time it didn't. But then I was able to fix it, right? And then that's called redeeming it. So it could be used again. And you know, really at Christmas time, that's kind of what we do. We, We celebrate the fact that Jesus redeemed Not a thing, but he redeemed people. He redeemed us. So we were broken in a sense, but Jesus came to earth, died on the cross for our sins, because our sins demand death. Jesus died for us. And by doing that, he restored our relationship to God so we could have a good relationship with God again. And so Jesus redeemed us just like I redeemed this lamp. Does that make sense to you guys and gals? Do you guys and gals have any questions about that? Yeah. Okay, buddy. Yeah? What do you think? You want to think about that a while. That is, that's something to consider. Yeah, just think about it and see what you think. Well, anyway, kids, what do you say? We pray. And just ask God to bless you this Christmas. And just as you celebrate your Christmas with your family, don't forget, Jesus came to earth to redeem you, okay? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time together with these kids. We pray that your blessings upon them. Might each one of them be blessed with a personal relationship with you. And might they know in their heart of hearts that Jesus died on that cross, was born in that manger, died on that cross, that he might redeem them and have a a wonderful relationship with you here on earth and for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty, guys. Let's go. Ready? One, two, three. One, two, three.
Praise God, okay? Praise God. Amen. All righty, guys. All right. All righty. Thanks, kids. Let's give them a hand. All righty. Uh, those kids are always fun. Um, you know, I think I'm going to need the change, uh, the slide changer here. Maybe it's, maybe I just forgot to bring it with me. But uh, while we're tracking that down, um, oh, there we go. Thanks, Gray. Okay, <laughs> thanks a lot. So, um, but yeah, again, what a privilege to be here tonight. And I'm looking forward to just sharing a few thoughts with you. And then we'll have a, a story from a personal uh, perspective of what I'm sharing here tonight. Uh, we do have the candlelight service afterwards and then another song. Uh, so again, let's pray and ask God to guide us all. Lord, again, thank you for this time and opportunity to be together. Uh, guide us, we ask, uh, in the moments ahead, in Jesus' name. You know, every Christmas we have to, uh, really have to, I shouldn't put it in those terms, but uh, teach messages on the Christmas theme. You know, uh, as a pastor who shared many over the years, I say have to because sometimes it's hard to do four Christmas messages every year, you know, year in and year out. Uh, but uh, you always try to be a little different, throw a little twist to it. But on the other hand, you know, what a glorious message it is. Uh, when I was listening to Brad and Greg over the last few weeks, uh, so encouraging to just be reminded of the truths of Christmas. And one verse that Brad shared really struck me uh, here when he spoke a couple weeks ago. It was Luke 1:68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel because he visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. And, you know, Brad probably thought I was texting, but honestly, I was on my little uh, message app. And I typed in Luke 168 because I wanted to look it up later and think about it more. And the more I thought about it, I thought, you know, I'm going to start my message with this verse because it says so much in such few words. And I really love this verse. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel because he visited us came to this earth and he accomplished redemption for his people and of course that redemption is for all of humankind he redeemed mankind he died on the cross for their sins it's not always easy to understand this and so i do want to address it more fully here tonight <clears throat> he also died for you for me for individuals not just mankind but he wanted to pay your price for redemption also redemption is really just means the act of regaining through a payment and we had lost something that we once had and it is interesting there was a time in mankind's existence when people did not need redemption adam and eve initially had no need for redemption. They had a perfect relationship with God. They fellowshiped with God. They could hear him in the garden. They could speak with God. There was a union with God unprecedented in humankind. I don't think that that relationship lasted long. After Adam was created, it said that he named the animals. How long does that take? Days, weeks, months probably. But then Eve was created. And Adam and Eve probably had a, a, a relationship, sexual relationship. My guess is they were very fertile being in the 
perfect unfallen state, I would imagine that uh, they could conceive quite easily in those days. And my only thought on that was, my guess is after Eve's creation, it was a matter of days, maybe weeks before mankind fell because it was before they conceived. And so right off the bat, it seems, God had given them this choice not to eat from any tree, to eat from any tree they wanted to, except from the one tree, the knowledge of good and evil. They couldn't eat from that one tree or they would surely die. This was God's way of giving us a choice to have a relationship with him or not. I could not, you know, club Julie over the head and drag her down the aisle and have uh, our pastor pronounce this man and wife and then she regained consciousness a couple days later and asked what happened and expect to have a good marriage relationship with her. And the same way with God, he wants it to, to be our free will, our choice. They could just say no to that one option and that gave them that freedom to have a relationship with God or not. Apart from that tree, there was no love possible between us and God that tree gave a choice for us to have that relationship or not and though we were made in God's image Adam and Eve image bearers you saw them you saw God they were a perfect reflection of God they were made to have that beautiful relationship with God but both were tainted through their sin when they chose to violate God's command and eat from that tree and so the image of God was marred. The relationship with God was marred. There was a need now to restore to the original condition. That was God's design and God's desire. So he immediately set in motion a plan to redeem, which is again an act of helping us regain through some sort of payment what we had lost. And God initiated that plan immediately. So one day Luke could write those words that God accomplished his plan of redemption for his people. But again in Acts 5, Romans 5.12 it says, Sin entered not just Adam and Eve's world but the world. And through one man, Adam Death entered, sin entered, death entered through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because in Adam, we all sinned. There's really two ways we sin. We're born in sin. We're born sinners because our ancestor, Adam, sinned. He was like our federal head, like the president of the United States. When the president of the United States signs a law into effect, it really doesn't matter if I agree with it or not. I've got to live by that law. You know, not when I was cleaning up our home where we found this uh, lamp, I found f uh, food stamps from World War II, of mom's and dad's food stamps from World War II. Now, there was a big war, right, that involved uh, even my mom and dad. I mean, it was a decision other people made, but it affected what they ate and what they could buy and how much they could buy and how often they could buy it. Same way Adam was our federal head. His choice affects us all he could not pass on to his descendants what he no longer possessed immortality you know he became immortal when he sinned and all his children followed suit but not only are we born in sin we're also sinners we can stand on our own sin ourselves remember my one son chris one day he came out with this 
terrible word in home. And I said, and I was sure that he heard it from one of your kids. I didn't know, or one of the neighbor kids. I didn't know. I said, Chris, where did you hear that word? Because I knew it had to come from somewhere. And he looked up at me and said, I made that one up myself. <laughs> and so, you know, uh, we can point our finger to Adam, but we also can point our finger to ourselves because there's plenty of things we make up ourselves too. And so we are sinners in need of redemption. And that's what this verse even suggests is that we need to be redeemed. We need redemption. Each person here needs to be redeemed. God felt so strongly he sent Jesus to that cross to die for us. And I think a lot of times people think we don't need to be redeemed. I think a lot of us sometimes just take life for granted. We think God's a great and loving God. And, you know, we really don't need to be redeemed to be right with God. We do need to be redeemed. And he's provided one path for redemption. In Acts 4.12 it says there's no name given among men by which we must be saved. Because that name, Jesus, is God's provision for the sins of the world. And so uh, sin entered this world. And Jesus came then. This was God's plan to send Jesus one day to this earth. Not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for sin. Because it's real clear in the Bible, in Romans 3.23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. God warned Adam and Eve, he said, in the day that you eat that tree, uh, the fruit of that one tree, you will surely die. Physically, spiritually, death will enter into this world. And so God set this... This plan in motion to, again, to redeem us. And he wanted to save us not only from our sins. You know what? God wants to save you from sinning also. And that's a remarkable thought. He wants to save you from your unfounded fears. You know, the fear of people. The fear of your peers. The fear of Christians. The fear of what might happen in the future. The fear of the nightly news and all that's there. The fear of being alone. There's all kinds of fears that can cripple us. And really, sin is anything that hurts us. And God wants to save us from these things that hurt us. You know, I remember once in college, I broke up with a girlfriend. And uh, I can remember... I had become a young Christian at that point, but I broke up with this girlfriend and someone shared a verse with me. Uh, Psalm 73, verse uh, 25. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there's none upon the earth that I desire besides thee. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God uh, is the... Uh, I can't, I'm not sure if I'm going to get this out now with everybody watching. But God is the strength of my soul, my portion forevermore. And that was just like a, 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 a huge uh, comfort to me in those days. Because uh, I was reminded of a truth from scripture. And through that promise, God saved me from the sin of grief and fear and doubt. You know, grief is one thing we can fall into too that God wants to save us from. You know, there's two kinds of sadness, two kinds of grief in the world. There's the one kind of grief, the worldly grief, the Bible says, which has no end to itself. It's just an end 
in and of itself. It's the grief that you're sorry about something, you regret something, that life is hard and challenging, you're full of sorrow, a loss of someone, something is plaguing your life, but it just ends there. All you have is this sorrow, this grief. There's another kind of grief, though, that God saves us from this grief, and there will be grief in life, but he gives us a different kind of grief. It even says, blessed are those who grieve, for they shall be comforted. There becomes an end to our grief, so much so that it says in Scripture, consider it all joy when you encounter various griefs, when you encounter various uh, you know, trials. Because God can work all things together for good to those who love him, the Bible says. And all of a sudden, Jesus saves us from the kind of grief that's an end to itself to the kind of grief that is a means to an end. And all of a sudden, we have a hope in the midst of our saddest moments. Those are the things that Jesus saves us from. In addition to saving us from sin, blocking our relationship with God, he wants to save us from sinning in these ways. Pride, jealousy, envy, anger, doubt, lust. He can save us from all of these things. We'll never be perfect until we see him face to face, but we will bear fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60-fold, some 100-fold. There will be a change in your life. Some of us in this room have witnessed those fruits of change in one another's lives. And what we witness when we see those changes is nothing other, nothing less than the hand of God himself in that person's life. You'll hear again a story of one such life changed by the hand of God here in a few moments. But God's got this huge dilemma. It's not easy to redeem us. It's not going to be an easy challenge because he who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to God. Proverbs seventeen fifteen, And what that verse seems to be saying is, if God is just, he cannot forgive us. If God is just and holy, He cannot forgive us because the wicked, justifying the wicked would be an abomination to him. Justifying sinners would be an abomination to God. I was talking with someone we had over as a guest the other evening and we were talking about God. And we're talking about the many facets of God's character. He's got all kinds of amazing attributes. One of them is love. And this person was really reducing everything about God into that one quality. God is love, period. And I said, well, yeah, but the Bible says he's also holy. She said, well, that's the subset of love. You know, he's just loving. And I said, well, you know, words matter. And there is a difference between the word holy and the word loving. And he's both. The Bible says he's so pure and perfect, his eyes can't even look upon evil. That's his holiness. Not really his love. But his love is for God so loved the world he gave his only son. God's both those things, infinitely so, but it creates this huge dilemma. How can God redeem us if he's holy and just? When it's an abomination to justify the wicked. And how can he not redeem us if he loves us as he does? This is a a great dilemma of God's. In trying to redeem mankind. But God 
had a way, had a plan, and he initiated it with Adam and Eve. As soon as they sinned, they gave him this promise. I will put enmity between you and the woman speaking to the evil in the serpent. And between your seed and her capital S seed, he shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. Excuse me. And so we see in this proto-evangelium, they call it, the, the very first gospel message that someday there's going to come a seed from that woman. And he's going to crush the head of that serpent. The serpent's going to wound his heel. By the way, this is thousands of years before Jesus. The serpent's going to wound the heel of the seed. And that's what he did with Jesus on the cross. But Jesus rose from the dead. He wasn't killed. He was wounded. But Jesus crushed the work of Satan. But this is all they had back then. This was a little bit of the gospel to begin with. That Jesus, God, communicated to Adam and Eve. Communication continued through other means, other people. God began to build into the Old Testament prophet revelations types of Christ. Like this event in Numbers 21 where the people through their sin of rebellion against God, against Moses, were being smitten by snakes. And they realized that they came to this point where, hey, so-and-so, you brought him, he got bitten by a snake. Yeah, and died. Yeah, well, so did so-and-so else and someone else. And before long, everybody was. It became clear to them that they had a spiritual need. And God was trying to get their attention. Moses got a snake and put it on a stick, put it up on the post. And he said, if you look at this, God's instruction, you look at this, what's raised up on this post, you will be healed. So they too now had a choice. To listen to Moses, look up at the stick. This is a type of Christ. This is to represent the Jesus that would one day come to achieve redemption for mankind. This was just an example of it. An example Jesus referred to himself. There are many types of Christ in the Old Testament. The fourth man in the fiery furnace, the pillar of fire by night, the pillar of cloud by day. The bridegroom of Ecclesiastes, Ruth's kinsman, redeemer. Joseph was a type of Christ. Nehemiah was a type of Christ. And then in Isaiah 9, 6, the messages are getting more and more clear, more and more specific as time goes on of God's plan to achieve redemption. Isaiah 9, 6, for a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us. Adam and Eve knew this child as the seed. And the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. This is God in human form coming to the earth to achieve redemption for us. This child, the incarnate God. And then in John, 1 John 1, 1, John writes this. After Jesus had died and rose and ascended to heaven, John writes, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld in our hands handled concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and we bear witness to it. And we declare to you the eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested to us, the seed, Jesus, the one who came to achieve, again, redemption. They could touch him, and they could see him, they could hear him, they could feel him. God came to accomplish his purposes. But, you know, it's just tough for us to understand this. The light shines in darkness. Jesus was that light. And the darkness, though, did not comprehend it. It's, you know, like thick-skulled people that we may be. It was hard for us to understand it. 
And an example of that might even be in Jesus' life on this earth in John chapter 2, in verse 23. I'd like to read you about a group of people uh, that were impressed by Jesus. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. But Jesus would not commit himself to those who believe in his name because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in the heart of man. I don't believe these were people that really believed in Christ. These were people that were impressed by the fact that he could work miracles. Now then, if you continue in John chapter 3, it says, and you could actually, it's an interpretive decision, but you could put the word but in here. But there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. But there was a man of the Pharisees, Nicodemus, ruler of the Jews. And it goes on here. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You know, it's kind of amazing. Here is Nicodemus saying to Jesus, Boy, you know, you must come from God because, look, no one can do what you do and not be from God. And, you know, Jesus could have said, yeah, you're probably right, Nicodemus, you know. No one probably could do those things. Yeah, you're right, I did come from God. Jesus didn't even, he bypassed the question altogether. And he directed what, to Nicodemus, what we need to hear ourselves. He simply said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You know, that takes some gumption, doesn't it? You know, to tell the leader of the Pharisees of Jesus' day that he must be born again. Not even to answer his comment or respond to it. Nicodemus said to him, well, how can a man be born again when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born of the water and the spirit, the flesh and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. You, in order to be, in other words, you must be redeemed. You must be restored to that original condition of relationship with God that he intended for us. You need redemption, Nicodemus. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said, how can these things be? Nicodemus was a searcher of truth. He wanted to know the truth. Some people ask questions just to kind of put up a wall. Other people ask questions. There's two kinds of questions. There's others that ask questions because they want to know. But Nicodemus was different than those other groups of people. And Jesus said, you are a teacher of Israel and you do not know these things. Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know. We testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe me, how will I, you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven... That is the son of man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, what we looked at earlier here, 
Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up on that post, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. And for thousands of years, in a progressive way, God revealed more and more about his plan to achieve redemption, starting with the seed, going on with Abraham, that he would be a father of many nations, and on through uh, the Old Testament, Isaiah 9, 6, a child will be born to us. He got more and more specific, and now for Nicodemus' sake, because he was a genuine questioner, Jesus gives the greatest summation of his redemptive plan that had ever been revealed in all of history. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the greatest revelation of God's redemptive plan up to that point in time in history. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. And he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe in Jesus is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. God's provision for the world's sin is Jesus. There's no other provision. No other religion even has this means of redemption. Because the redemption is costly. It says we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus. It was the death of the God himself on the cross. The perfect, the infinite for a finite number of sins. And this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light. Because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. And does not come to the light. Lest his deeds be exposed. Boy what a challenge for us. Because we're all sinners. We all have evil. And that evil can drive us and keep us into darkness. We don't want anything to do with God. We don't want anything to do with Christians. We don't want anything to do with church. We want to stay in the darkness. We don't want the light to shine into our life because we'll grieve over the sin. But that grief is intended, you know, is intended to comfort us through this redemptive story. But he who does the truth will come to light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. And so the greatest story in the world is that God loved the world that he did. He gave Jesus his son to come to this earth. And you know, I often thought if God was so smart, couldn't he have figured out another way to save us than sending Jesus to die on the cross? But there was no other way for God to satisfy his character, infinite character of love, which wants us in heaven with his infinite character of justice which demands death for sin. All the wrath of God was extinguished on Jesus on that cross that God now then can redeem us, restore us to that relationship with him through our faith in Jesus and what he did for us on that cross. That's how Jesus, how God accomplished redemption. And you know what? When we embrace God's provision for our sin, Jesus Christ, as I did 40 years ago, we 
become a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession so that we could proclaim his excellencies who have called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. If you're not a Christian here tonight, I'd like to give you that opportunity to accept Jesus as your Savior tonight. It says, if you hear his voice today, do not harden your heart. You may not have another day to respond to God's invitation to accept him as your Savior. So I would want to give you that opportunity tonight to accept him. And for those of us that are Christians, might we never forget what Jesus did for us on that cross? You know, because we want to continue to be proclaimers of his excellencies. And you know what? If you haven't been proclaiming lately, it's because you forgot. It's just kind of gotten a little stale there. And we forget even one of these greatest of things. We, We can forget it. The other night I went to this meeting. I've been, I've served as a mediator in the Jefferson County Court. So I'm trying to help people going through divorce situations. And uh, I'm with this Torelli Foundation. I volunteer with some. And there's 40 lawyers at a party the other night. They were just kind of celebrating their foundation. Kind of high falutin guys, but you know, humble guys that want to make a difference in people's lives. It was a good thing, good time. And Julie was unable to make it. She was in the dentist chair during that time. And uh, Ryan came in town. I said, Ryan, why don't you be my wife tonight? And so Ryan was my wife that night. I introduced this is my wife, Ryan, you know. <laughs> and uh, so they would say to Ryan, so, uh, so Ryan, what do you do? You know, that's kind of like that. And Ryan says, uh, I'm an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And, uh, you know, I thought, whoa. And, you know, to these lawyers and stuff, it, it really was good for me. Ryan was proclaiming his excellencies. Why? Because Brian's a chosen race. In that chosen race, he's a priest. He's in the holy nation. He's a people of God's own possession. He's accepted God's provision for his sin and has changed his life. And uh, it was remarkable. You know, one lawyer, retired lawyer, came up to Ryan privately in the midst of that party. I didn't even know it. And he said, Ryan, you know, my mom died recently. What happens to us after we die? You know, that's Sorry, I don't usually get that emotional. But that's the change that God has brought in Ryan's life. And it's a change he wants to bring in all our lives. You will become one who proclaims his